0: This podcast is sponsored by the For hundreds of years we brought you the news for the
1: info we gave you the clue
2: Hey, hello, hello. Welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indie podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll of Valleyindie.org. So today in this broadcast, I'm going to play you a rather long press conference that was uh, held by Governor Lamont and his staff department heads, a few of them, on Tuesday. And ostensibly, it's to explain the new quarantine guidance and new COVID guidance that came down from the CDC to the state, which the state relayed to school districts all over uh, the Nutmeg State this week. As you know, Ansonia schools, public schools, hit a rough spot on, on Monday, 25% of the staff out. They opted to take the, the week off to allow people, and people were out for COVID-related uh, reasons. So they'll return Monday. Uh, and then, so, in this press release, I mean i'm sorry, this press conference essentially Lamont says the, the the message I got was that we don't have any plans to to go full remote as I understand it, then this is confusing and i and I've put in a, an email to the governor's office to clarify, but haven't heard back i'm being told by state lawmakers locally that a board of education could vote to go remote, they could switch to remote learning if they felt the need. The trick is, right now, if you went remote, it doesn't count towards your 180-day minimum. So it doesn't really make sense to do so. But technically, they could go remote and then hope that there's an act of the state legislature saying, uh, okay, we we forgive you those days. Uh, I I guess it's a small point. And Sony is going to have those days that they're missing this week tacked on to the end of the school year. So... Yeah, that's the gist of the press conference. But, I, you know, listen to the whole thing. Or at least listen. I, I, I Everyone should listen to at least the first uh, 20 minutes or so. There's, a, there's some information relayed. Uh, you know, and I know everybody's got a stance on COVID. And I'm taking a lot of heat online. I, I have to be honest with people. I'm sick of reading your your thoughts on COVID. I don't, I don't care where you stand at this point. Look. I think any reasonable person or at least it's it's the stance of this one person without a medical degree or any experience but I have interviewed a few doctors here and there I mean the vaccines show that it reduces uh, your your chances of being seriously ill from this thing so I'm just not looking I don't have time to fact check everybody's random memes And uh, random stats about COVID. So I'm just, I tend, comments are are left on on the site. But so much of what's left on Valley Indie Facebook when it comes to this stuff, because people are so emotionally charged and politically charged. It just, I I got, I, I want to report on local news. At the same time, I don't want to let the Valley Indie Facebook page become like every other Facebook page, which is just a cesspool of people fighting and trying unsuccessfully to convince one another of w- what their point of view is. I don't care. So I've limited comments, and that's so I can do my primary job as a reporter, which is to try to report local news. Uh, I don't see myself any longer as, a, you know, they don't pay me extra to be a web staff and to monitor comments all the time. So sometimes I've been tending just to turn off comments. They're still on on the site. I, I mean, what what's remarkable to me is that People don't come to the Valley Indy to leave those comments, which is indicative to me. I think, in my opinion, and I could be wrong. People just react to the headlines and then just put whatever they feel under under story without reading it. So, but that's great for Facebook. That's why Facebook it makes a million dollars, and that's why I'm in my basement recording a podcast and <laughs> will willingly taking abuse for turning off comments on Valley Indie Facebook posts, specifically when it comes to uh, COVID-19 and all the BS that's out there surrounding it. So I apologize if that offends people, but I'm just trying to do my job. So without further ado, here, everyone, if if, if you hate Governor Lamont, here is an hour of him. Good night and God bless.
3: Okay. Well, good af- good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining. Um, very excited to be joined by my colleagues here, Commissioner Russell Tucker, Commissioner Juthani, and of course Governor Lamont, um, to provide an update on schools, which is such an important uh, topic uh, for uh, all of us, particularly all of us who are parents, um, but really everyone across the state. Um, A year and a half ago, under the governor's direction and leadership, Connecticut really led in terms of getting our schools open and keeping them open and really maximizing the number of days and the amount of time that our students could spend in class, which subsequently has been shown through numerous studies to be so critically important to children's development, particularly of Black and Hispanic children, high poverty schools, um, and the impacts of some districts that have not been able to keep their schools open and how uh, in, uh, the significant disruptions that that's caused both for children and, and for those communities. And so today, despite the unprecedented spread of the, the Omicron variant that we're experiencing, we're still more committed than ever to keeping our schools open. Um, we are going to talk a little bit here about the things that we're doing along those lines. Um, You know, one of the top topics uh, is the acute shortage of of testing that exists uh, in Connecticut and really across the country right now. And, you know, we've been working hard. We've got over half a million uh, additional at home tests have been distributed over the weekend to our municipalities and are getting out to people's hands. We've got another six hundred and twenty thousand uh, at-home tests that have gone out today directly to our schools and school districts for students and uh, school staff. We've got another 50,000 tests that are going out today to uh, child care providers, um, and we received another large delivery overnight. I'm mean, click got-
1: up Router 5 to make sure you can hear Josh talking right now.
3: Uh, okay. you, please. Um, we've got another uh, large delivery that came in overnight and millions more tests that are in the procurement pipeline that we expect to receive in the coming days and weeks that we think will bridge us through to when the federal government has signaled that they will um, be providing a more robust uh, national at-home test distribution plan. Um, And in addition, um, we've recognized the importance of and the value of having high-quality masks um, available to people, particularly given how transmissible this variant is. And so we've now distributed over 3.2 million N95s statewide and encourage anyone who is wearing a mask, certainly people out on the front lines, Uh, to uh, access those if they have not already done so off Amazon or on on their own volition to get one of the N95s that that we're putting out in cooperation with our municipalities. So we're particularly grateful of the the work that was done over the holidays um, by Commissioner Russell Tucker and Commissioner Juthani and their teams at SDE and DPH working with our superintendents working with our labor leaders to digest the latest guidance from the cdc that has come out um, as well as the current dynamics on the ground here in connecticut to make sure that we could reopen schools yesterday uh, nearly every one of our schools uh, reopened yesterday safely and effectively. It's going to be a little bumpy, but thanks to their leadership and their guidance and partnership with our local districts, you know we're very optimistic. We're gonna we're gonna have a successful spring semester here. So I'm delighted to turn it over uh, to Commissioner Russell Tucker.
4: Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner Javal, and thanks to you, Governor and Commissioner Jathani, for your leadership as we work together to maintain, as was just stated, in-person learning in a safe a manner as possible. Uh, To our superintendents and our teachers and school staff or school nurses, local health directors watching us today, I want to share my profound thank you for all your efforts to keep our schools opening safely for in-person learning. We know the task is monumental, and you're truly doing an amazing job on behalf of all our students and families. And to our families, I do want you to know we hear you, your safety concerns, uh, as well as your commitment. Uh, to keeping your children in school given the disruption to their education as a result of the pandemic. Be assured, as was stated here at the Department of Education and with all our agency partners across Governor Lamont's administration that we're actively working to maintain access to safe, healthy, and enriching environments for a student. It truly is, and some of you have heard me talk about, a best-in-class collaboration that is leading us through this pandemic. And I'm proud of our teams, that uh, our state agency teams that are supporting all this effort, and as was mentioned, worked over uh, the holiday to make sure that we could get guidance out. Uh, and also it's for our public schools, but also independent and private schools. So as we continue forward, we're committed to this effort. Not only did we learn from our own assessments in Connecticut last year, that school, in school, uh, in, in personal learning is where our students learn best. But we also know that schools provide critical critical supports, mental health supports, social emotional supports, nutrition, physical activity. And these supports have grown even more important during their, this time and the challenges of the pandemic. So unfortunately, we know from our own experience, uh, but also through our, the, the negative impacts of COVID, on our youth mental health. And it's such a challenge that's faced nationally as cited by our U.S. Surgeon General. And so this is why last week, again, we worked so hard uh, to make sure around the clock that we can revise and disseminate our health guidance, safety guidance, and as, as Josh mentioned, organize the distribution of our test kits and masks and communicate with all our stakeholders. So saying to everyone, whether it's masking up or indoors, having a discussion with your child about the safety protocols in school, or monitoring your own symptoms and that of your children. We're all in this together. And I'm confident, very confident that with this team, we're going to get through this together if we all do our part. So with that, let me introduce Commissioner Jassani to talk about our health guidance.
5: Thank you very much, Commissioner Russell Tucker, Commissioner Jabal, and it is an honor to be in this administration of Governor Lamont. This team has worked tirelessly over the last holiday break to be able to understand the new CDC guidelines and figure out a way to really implement them in a way that can keep our schools open and our children safe. We had guidance that was present before. Schools that choose to continue to follow follow that guidance have that option to do that. However, we provided an alternative to be able to have schools refocus their efforts on the things that are the best practices in terms of infection prevention particularly in a time when there is high prevalence of COVID-19 in our community. And so what I mean by that are some overarching principles, which is that based on what we've learned so far in these last two years, we know that schools can implement many infection control procedures well, with masks in place, putting some distance, hand hygiene, so that we are asking our school nurses no longer to be focused on contact tracing within the schools. This does not mean we have stopped efforts across the board in our communities in terms of educating our public. However, now we can focus more on those practices within school that we know keep students and staff safe. So with that in mind, the basic premise is that if you are a fully vaccinated child, you continue to monitor for symptoms, even if you've had an exposure outside of the classroom and you continue to come to school and you remain masked. If you're an unvaccinated child and you've had a significant exposure outside of the classroom, so exposures in the classroom, I'll get to in a minute, but outside of the classroom, if you're unvaccinated or partially vaccinated, those students have to stay home for five days and quarantine and then come back to school after that with wearing a mask. If there are cases that occur in a classroom, parents need to be notified by the school district that there have been cases so that you know, even though we're not doing contact tracing, specifically to figure out whether you were, your child was within within six feet of another child, rather what we're doing is letting classrooms know that somebody in that classroom has had COVID-19. And with these overarching simple principles, that if you're sick, stay home, get tested. If you have COVID-19, you at least know that you must stay there for at least five days. If you don't, you can return sooner if your symptoms are resolved and you are fever free. With these simple principles of following the guidance of symptoms, we believe we can keep as many kids in school as possible while still maintaining a safe environment for schools to stay open. And with that, I'd like to now turn to Governor Lamont.
6: All right, well, thanks Manisha and Josh and Charlene. I mean, we're working with you, trying to do everything we can to keep our schools open safely. Um, Josh pointed out, you know, it was a year and a half ago that um, Uh, Connecticut got its schools open, some of the earliest to do that. Uh, We did it with masks. Um, We were able to make sure that even in the midst of a very high infection rate a year and a half ago, um, uh, our classrooms were some of the uh, more safe places to be and uh, that made a difference. I looked at other states and no masks and I saw quarantines and kids being sent home and we avoided uh, most of that because we were careful. And uh, I am leading with care and uh, public safety and public health when it comes to keeping our schools open now. Uh, this is a little different than it was um, a year and a half ago. Um, uh, to be blunt, we have a higher infection uh, rate. We're at probably 24 percent today. And you may say, oh, my God, what what's going on? Uh, At the same time, um, it's much less virulent. So there's some um, transitions there. But the most important difference between now and then is we have even more tools to keep ourselves safe. And uh, that's why, um, number one, we prioritized early on. all of our educators, teachers, paras, those that um, work at the schools, those that work at daycare, prioritize them in terms of a vaccination. Uh, They've almost all been um, double-vaxxed and uh, the vast majority have also had their booster, doing everything we can to make sure um, our educators know they can get back into the school, back back safely uh, going forward. same is true now, we have uh, vaccinations uh, for kids. And, um, you know, there the vast majority of the older kids um, have got um, their uh, vaccination. Younger kids, uh, not as much yet, it's just been opening up. And uh, there. um look, I understand the caution. I understand it's a kid. I understand um, people want to um, err on the side of hesitancy a little bit, but we've had um, millions of tests over now, you know, um, close to a year, including the testing. Uh, So I'd urge other parents to to reach out to your fellow parents in that fifth grade classroom and and say, um, my kid was vaccinated. I feel a lot safer knowing he or she is vaccinated. And I urge um, you to do the same thing for your child. It's uh, one more way that we can keep our schools um, uh, safe and keep our schools open. Um, Obviously, we started with masking a year and a half ago. As uh, you just heard, we've got millions of masks in stockpile N95, the top quality um, medical masks available. They really only work for adults because that's how they're fitted. But um, this, we're getting out to do everything we can to make sure that all of our educators can stay safe. If there is, um, you know, an exposure, um, when you come back, you can wear um, the mask uh, and get back to work in uh, five days as a teacher, not not to 10 days. And I think that's um, incredibly important. And I think these masks are gonna be widely available, not only for schools, but what they mean in terms of keeping our businesses and our stores and our restaurants open. Uh, we've had a lot of talk about testing um is look, I was hoping we were going to get these uh, rapid tests for you, uh, you know, four days ago, but they're there now. And uh, we've had, um, you know, a million tests delivered or being delivered as we speak, going right to our schools. And uh, what that means is, look, if, um, first of all, if, if you have a child that um, is displaying flu symptoms, you're not sure if it's flu or what stay home. And uh, frankly, in this day and age, it probably is COVID. Uh, but that said, um, if there's uh, if there's some symptomatic going on in a classroom, um, we can notify the parents, get them home, get a test for them so you know that you can get back to uh, school safely. Uh, I want all of our teachers and uh, paras and educators to know we've got tests to do the same thing as well. I say more broadly for the population, uh, we don't have enough tests for everybody to get tested every day. But uh, I want you to know that, look, if there are symptoms, you probably ought to stay home regardless. Test after a few days, five days, so you can get back to school or get back uh, in the game. Uh, For students who have been vaccinated, if there is an exposure, they can get back as long as they're not showing symptoms at all. I just leave you with a thought. I think there's nothing more important for our state uh, and for our kids than doing everything we can to keep them in the classroom safely. Uh, I got a big shout out to our uh, teachers and educators uh, stepping up, uh, getting back in the classroom. I know it's complicated. Uh, I appreciate the school bus drivers. Some anxiety there. I know the parents. Some of them saying, "Maybe not now. Maybe I'll hold off." But I'm really proud of the fact that the vast majority of our schools are open and doing everything they can to keep them open. I know that that's in the best interest of the kids. Um, we did pretty well when it came to a tele-learning uh, last time around, but we also learned the hard way that uh, learning via Zoom is not nearly what it should be when it comes to keeping your kids in the classroom with their peers, with their friends, with a teacher that loves them um, in this day and age. So that is why we're working hard to keep your sk- kids in school, and that allows more of our families to get back about their daily lives as well. You know, with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, once again, we're going to ask individuals to use the hand raise function. already
7: see several of them. Uh, we'll start with uh, Seamus McAvoy from the Hartford Current. Thank you, Max, and, and, and thank you all for, for being here today. Um, I, I wanted to ask, first of all, with um, staff absentee rates, um, maybe that's information that Commissioner Russell Tucker may have among school staff. Um, just looking at some other communities, you know, neighbors to the north in Boston public schools, they had about a thousand, more than a thousand staff members, many of which were teachers um, out today. Is that information available either for today or, or for yesterday coming back from break?
4: So uh, thank you for your question. So we don't have the specific numbers of, of staff outages available to us. We've been checking in with our districts, and they have shared in general, uh, for those that were not open yesterday or those that are not open today, that it really is a combination of staffing outages, uh, and including bus drivers. The, the governor mentioned that. Uh, but I don't have a, a specific number.
7: Thank you, Commissioner. And I, I wanted to ask uh, for Governor Lamont uh, as well. Um, yesterday, some union leaders uh, between AFT Connecticut, Connecticut Education Association, etc. Um, they're, they're calling on some tighter protocols, safety protocols in schools. They also want to keep schools open, but they want to make sure that they stay safe. And we know schools have traditionally been a a safe place to be, thankfully. Um, Even so, they would like to see more temperature screening outside of schools, which can help pick up symptoms, say in nonverbal students uh, as well. Um, as the as others, um, they'd like to see n95 masks be mandated inside schools. Um, maybe if not among children then among staff members, the adults that the masks are fitted for. Um, as well as testing being available on on site and vaccinations being available on site. Have you seen those demands and are there, are there any of those that, that you support don't support um, any more protocols that you're considering as we see cases rise? I think you mentioned 24% uh, today for daily positivity rate, um, um, your response to, to those demands.
6: Yeah. Um, A hats off to the teachers um, and I'm in regular contact with them. And um, Charlene's in hourly contact with the leaders. Um, and, and these are um, these are good ideas. Look, the temperature check—we uh, had that going before. We had um, hundreds of thousands of thermometers. I'll rely on Charlene. Uh, it, it's up to the schools if they want to keep that going. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, I mentioned that the N95 masks, my understanding is uh, they're not um, sized for kids, so it doesn't work to mandate um, that medical quality uh, mask for them, but I think we're finding that the mask that the kids are wearing is making an enormous difference, and my intention looking at the infection rates right now is to keep those mask mandate in place, um, you know, probably through the end of my executive powers. Um, uh, the testing, I think, is on an as-needed basis, um, and I think uh, we're going to roll that out. Uh, testing is uh, best done, uh, given sent it home, and the tests are done at home. Vaccinations, uh, well, first, tests are done at home. Tests are done with a parental insight and permission. I think that's uh, probably the best way to do it, probably the law, by the way. And the other one was, uh, you know, vaccinations. Again, that can only be done with parental uh, permission, so Uh, would have to coordinate that to make sure the vaccines are done accordingly. But um, anything to add there, guys?
5: I'll just add a few things there, which is that we've been working very closely with our schools to be able to provide uh, clinics and our mobile vans who've provided vaccine clinics at schools. Um, And in addition, I think that We've seen that the mask wearing so far that's been there has made significant differences already. So um, what with even better masks that are available to teachers that can only help further.
4: And I'll also add or just to reiterate what Commissioner Jathani had mentioned previously that with the shift to contact tracing, that it really is allowing us uh, to make sure our health staff in our schools are able to, to work towards in-school to address the, the risk uh, for in-school exposures. And they're looking at identification, early isolation, and clinical, clinical management uh, of our students and staff with active symptoms uh, in, in schools. So that is allowing us to really get close to your question of more safety protocols uh, in our schools. I think we're on our way there uh, with some of these changes that were just made.
5: I just wanna add one other thing as well that I forgot to mention, which is project COVID detect, which was weekly testing has been available to all schools for many, many weeks now. So that's already been something that's been available to schools who've opted to join into that.
8: Great, thank you all. We'll go next to Eva Zamaris. Good morning,
9: everyone, and thank you for holding this update today. I know that we've been talking about prioritizing those vulnerable populations, and obviously you mentioned that that includes getting tests to students and staff. How is that being distributed? How does that process work? And obviously, this is going to be an ongoing battle and challenge. So how are you going to keep those tests, getting them into the hands of students as the pandemic continues, as these numbers continue to be high
8: and as students are in the classroom?
3: When you guys want to take that? Sure, I'll, I'll get us started. So um, as we mentioned earlier, um, you know, we started distributing at home tests uh, on Friday last week. Some municipalities used their allocations to help prioritize some for their schools. But in any event, um, every district is able to pick up today their uh, additional allocation as part of that 620,000 I mentioned earlier. Um, and then they will work with their local resources, their local infrastructure and their local processes to distribute those tests according to what's best in that, in that uh, school district. Um, as you allude, we are continuing to, to procure more. Um, we're, we're anticipating the high demand will continue for, for a bit longer. Um, you know, we do have 400 testing sites uh, as well as, you know, Project Detect that Commissioner Chizani just mentioned available, but we still wanna to continue to provide a more steady stream of rapid tests um, to help meet this uh, near-term surge, particularly until um, the federal resources become available. So we're continuing to plan and procure accordingly. Uh, anyone wanna to add to that?
4: I'll just add, Josh, and, and for everyone here that we're focused on our public schools, but also our private and independent schools So they're a part of that distribution and delivery pickup today as well.
8: We'll go next to Christine Stewart. Thanks, Max. Um, you know,
9: so schools are delaying and canceling or simply don't have bus service uh, due to teachers being absent, lack of bus drivers. I mean, what can be done about that? Are you going to ever consider going remote again or shortening the 180 day school year?
6: Charlene?
4: Uh, Christine, thank you for your question. And we're really working and monitoring this uh, closely uh, with, our, with our superintendents. Uh, they have, I know some of them have looked at, in some cases, it might have been a school uh, that uh, was not able to open, and in some cases, the districts, they're working very hard and planning. In some cases, they're looking at uh, a professional learning day that they are reducing or a, a district said, we'll make this up at the end of the year. And so they're being really thoughtful and strategic about how to do this. We, again, recognize the challenges. And we'll continue to help problem solve with them. We, you know, staff were on the phone yesterday with some of our districts trying to work through with them on this. Again, because our goal, as we've stated, is really to keep kids in school. We're all agreed on the disruptions uh, and the learning <coughs> challenges that they've had. And so we're looking for really it's more time and not less time uh, in school for their instructional needs. And so we continue to work that through and we'll continue to to address this uh, as we move forward. Uh, And, Governor, at this rate, COVID is going to have an impact on the economy.
9: What type of tax relief are you open to? Are you open to anything other than tax relief besides tax credits, like the property tax credit or the child tax credit?
6: Yeah, Christine, um, I think, fortunately, when it comes to rent relief and utility relief, uh, we still have a lot of capacity there to make sure that – uh, despite uh, this second surge or fourth surge, um, we can keep people uh, in their homes and keep them up to date in terms of utility. I think uh, that's extraordinarily important. We've expanded the scope of healthcare dramatically, uh, thanks in part to a, some subsidies from the federal government to make sure the health um, healthcare and health insurance is more widely available and to making sure that nobody um, is denied going forward. You know, I'm making sure that um, our testing, making sure that vaccinations are all available um, regardless of a cost, no cost to anybody um, at all, no questions asked, make sure that that is universally available. Uh, In terms of, um, you know, other tax things, as you probably know, we just uh, dramatically increased the earned income tax credit. So that's the biggest um, tax cut for working families um, the state has seen in an awful long time. I want to make sure that uh, we reward work and people have a good, strong incentive to get back to work. Number one, public health, that you can get back to work safely. And two, that work pays, you keep more of your paycheck. Those are some of our priorities.
8: We'll go next to Paul Hughes.
10: Uh, Thanks. Has there been any thought or any uh, discussions planning regarding uh, using National Guard troops to uh, serve as substitute bus drivers And in Waterbury today, uh, or yesterday, 45 uh, drivers uh, missed work?
3: Want to take that, Josh? Sure. Thanks for the question, Paul. It's it's a fair one. Although, um, you know, there are certain you know commercial driver's license requirements and other uh, requirements to be able to drive school buses. That um, we, we've looked at this in the past, um, and and the we we don't have resources in the guard that can support that mission. I would point out though that the guard is extremely active as we speak. Over two hundred guardsmen and women who are on active duty helping to support uh, testing and mask distribution, helping to augment the staff at uh, testing sites around the state where the volume is higher or or where uh, a testing site may have lost staff due to a a staff member getting um, sick. So the guard is fully engaged um, and General Yvonne and his team are uh, continuously jumping in to help with whatever the new challenges are.
10: Uh, Has there been any thought given to opening up say, you know, mass vaccination sites again for say boosters?
3: You know, we have over a thousand sites around the the state right now that are doing vaccinations um, and we are continuing to monitor that very closely at this point. We don't see the overflow demand like we're seeing for testing right now. Um, So we're focusing really our efforts on scaling up testing capacity from a vaccination perspective. You know, we've been encouraged to see some uptick in boosters uh, coming through. I think people are following many people are following us closely enough to see that the evidence is mounting that having that booster makes a huge difference right now about uh, either not getting omicron to begin with or if you do get it reducing it to a common cold, as opposed to something that could require hospitalization. So we still have a lot of people in the state who haven't gotten their booster. It's a critical message going out is to go get your booster. If you haven't yet, there are a thousand places around the state where you can do that. And we don't, uh, we haven't heard a lot of reports of, of huge lines or, or over, over demand there.
10: And uh, governor, uh, you know, back to that tax relief question real quick. Um, what about your property tax credit? Um, I know, is is you had a proposal, uh, you campaigned on a proposal? Uh, is is that likely to be part of your budget recommendations in uh, in February?
6: Yes, it's very likely. I'm gonna try again. I think it's the right thing to do. I think the property tax um hits the middle class really hard, uh, and we're gonna get property tax relief through this next uh, session. You know, along the way, Paul, um, uh, with a lot of federal resources um, and additional state resources going to our municipalities, that's also allowed them to hold down their property tax or even re- uh, reduce it a bit uh, locally as well.
10: Okay, and, and one more question for you, Governor, and then I'm, I'm done. Um, it, it seems pretty clear the message coming from you, your education commissioner, and even your public health commissioner is we're not going back to remote learning. Is 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 that correct?
6: Uh, That's correct. I'm going to do everything I can to keep kids in the uh, classroom safely. There's there's nothing compares to a, a great teacher in a classroom.
8: Okay, thank you much. We'll go next to the Valley Independent.
2: Hey, I'm Eugene Driscoll of the Valley Indy. Uh, Two questions, maybe three. First, on behalf of a CT News junkie, are you going to go back to mass testing sites? And then my question specifically is about local control. Some of the school districts have been sending home communications to parents saying basically, well, we can't go remote because of the governor or because of the state. But I'm also told, no, the school districts, if they wanted to or had to, could go remote, that it is an option, but whether it or not it counts towards the 180 day uh, requirement is what's up in the air. Can, you, can anybody provide clarification there?
4: Charlene? So Eugene, we've, we've provided guidance uh, that really dis- allows the, the provided information to districts about remote learning and what counts and what does not count. Uh, And so as a regular regular school day. So towards that front, students uh, who are uh, confirmed COVID or or in quarantine, uh, districts can certainly do that. Uh, That counts. Uh, Those residing with vulnerable family members, uh, that they could certainly do. Or students with disabilities, uh, where there's an agreed upon remote instruction for their programming, uh, that would certainly count. Uh, And so those are the situation and circumstances. And if there were an emergency declaration in that case, so districts can make local decisions as they do on a a snow day. Uh, However, right, they then don't have to make up that day. So we provide that clarification for uh, our districts.
2: And I'm just wondering, one follow up, like locally, we had Ansonia closed for the rest of the week. I'm just this is might be an imaginary scenario, but let's say the BOE here said we're going to go remote. Could they do that?
4: They could certainly do that. However, their decision to close, and as the superintendent and Sonia said, that they are making up those days. So if they decide for the continuation of learning that they want to do that, however, it's not one of those uh, exceptions for counting it as the, one, the 180 days. So at the, in Sonia, I think they're making it up at the end of the year.
2: Right. From what I understand, if they did go remote, they would have to. there's a way – those could be counted toward the 180-day rule if there was a special session and the legislature said, yeah, you can do that? If or is it totally
4: barred? Yeah. If the legislator, legislature you know, came in and made some changes on, uh, on remote learning, uh, they could they can certainly do that. Right now, it is not permitted.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: Go next to Caitlin Birchell, NBC, Connecticut.
9: Hey guys, so following up on the scaling up testing capacity, not sure if this is Josh or the governor, but looking, you know, I was in New Britain yesterday, five plus hours, people are sick. They needed a PCR to go back to work because they had some kind of symptom. Are we going to scale up?
3: Yes, so uh, the teams are working to scale up testing, have been for the last several weeks. Um, We see the lines, we hear the frustration. you know, we see it across our neighboring states, like we're, we're all, we are very focused on this. Um, in addition, as mentioned, you know, getting the at-home tests um, broadly distributed to people will help take some pressure off that. We think the holiday season behind us will help take some pressure off that. But yes, we are, we are very, very focused on that. As mentioned, we've been deploying the National Guard. We've been drawing on the vendors that we have on contract to do more testing, to expand the hours, to add new sites. Um, so absolutely area of focus. Josh,
9: just following up, would you say to businesses that maybe not need a PCR test? I think that that's one of the big issues right now. You're handing out these at-home tests, but they're not, they're not viable for businesses to get back to work.
3: Yeah. Commissioner Jutani, do you want to, you want to talk about the return to work and CDC guidance?
5: Yeah, so I think a couple of things I would mention is that in the current guidance that exists from the CDC, if you've tested positive, after five days, you can come out of isolation and continue to wear a mask and can return to daily life. So for employers, you can consider that guidance. I would also say that in many different sectors, um, we have paused sort of PCR testing requirement Uh, and have been using self-testing and so other businesses could consider that if they are using testing as part of their strategy of keeping their workplace safe is to be able to use self tests as well but i think the main thing to consider is that if you've had covid or if you've had any respiratory virus and you are better and symptom-free and you are beyond five days and you continue to wear a mask you should be able to safely reengage in society with the CDC guidance the way we currently have it.
9: Much appreciated. And one last question, Josh. This might be for you, but but the state we've learned has ended their Yale wastewater contract. That doctor or the person over that program said if we were doing that, the DPH numbers are way underreported. We would have a much more broad case of COVID cases in Connecticut. Why did we end that? And would we consider doing it again?
3: Yeah, th- thanks for the question. I mean, we we discussed that, I think last summer, and having looked back over a year plus of data, um, we think that you know the conclusion was is that that surveillance wasn't providing us a lot of additional insight that was actionable that we didn't we weren't already getting through other means. So it was really interesting, and it was you know helpful in those early days. I, I don't think we need more data right now to know that community transmission is pervasive in Connecticut. I don't, I don't know that it would tell us anything we don't already know or that we want to do differently as a result. Um, so, you know, we, we have very robust, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of test results coming in every week, uh, all the at-home testing going on. So it was, it was a great project, and we really appreciate that partnership with Yale. Um, it was uh, very, very interesting at the time.
9: Thank you.
8: So next to Matt Karen Fox 61.
1: Uh, Thanks, Max. Hi, everybody. Uh, Just a few classroom safety related questions for you all. Um, I don't think many people would disagree. Like you were saying that, you know, in-person learning is best. But as I've been talking with teachers, um, one thing that I've heard from them is that in addition to a lot of staff being out on a daily basis, they have a good portion of their students um, that are out. And they're saying that because of that, even though they're in person, they're not able to really teach any new material uh, because they don't want half the class to be left behind. So essentially it's almost like a daycare. Um, And they say that in in a lot of cases they could be
8: more productive in a virtual environment. Um, Could someone speak to that? So Matt, I'll I'll just
4: share that, you know, we talked to our our union, our colleagues as well, and our, our educators, and that you know that fair point, uh, which is one of the reasons I think even today we're saying we're messaging to families as well to really work closely with the districts to know what the mitigation strategies are to record to really uh, be comfortable in making sure knowing that the school is doing its level best to keep them safe in school because that truly matters, uh, and you know we still have families who are uh, you know concerned about. Uh, devices and and you know uh, connectivity uh, for remote instruction happening and we have educators as well who are concerned about having to do remote and in-person hybrid learning uh, and we all agree uh, that in- person is best so I think what we're working on here is to make sure our educators have the, the the strategies that they're employing and the supplies that they need there and for families to understand how much effort has been made to make sure that classroom, is really a safer place for them. And they can de- de- really develop that confidence that everyone's working very hard to keep their kids safe.
1: Yeah, but could you just speak specifically to the lack of i mean advancement of instructional content during the day when, when half of the class is, is out? How can you really advance the curriculum?
4: Yeah, and again, uh, you know, really important to work that through. And we hear you and understand that. Uh, and certainly, we'll continue to work with our educators Uh, in that space, I I understand clearly, right? You don't want to leave uh, many kids behind again, which is why we really want them there uh, in the classroom and and really having our families have that confidence that they can come back in. All right, thanks, Commissioner.
1: One more for you. you. Um, I have been hearing also from teachers that, for example, in the elementary level, uh, breakfast uh, needs to be sometimes done in the classroom, snack in the classroom. Uh, not in a cafeteria where you can space out in distance. So, you know, the mask is off during that time, um, you know, and, and what was six feet of social distance turned into three, teachers are telling me it's more like a foot or less. So during snack and, and
4: breakfast, are those, you know, are those, <laughs> how do you do that safely? Uh, so, you know, Commissioner Jathani may, may want to add something else here, but uh, Matt, we've also been providing a lot of guidance uh, around what to do around, because we know nutrition is so important. We want our kids to make sure that they have uh, the nutrition that they need and how they can do some of this safely uh, in classroom, using other extra space that they have. And we'll continue to provide that support. We have uh, staff members really ready, ready and able to provide individual guidance uh, and support as, as is needed in that, in that vein. It is important. Nutrition is really important uh, for learning. Um, for Commissioner Juthani,
1: um, I heard you guys talk a little earlier about, you know, K, uh, or N95 masks not being fitted properly for uh, younger children, but there are like KF94 masks, which are the Korean standard of an N95. Um, you know, so, I mean, is the state considering procuring a, a better, uh, more high quality mask for younger children?
5: Well, what I would say to start is that, Some type of mask is what is most important. And what we've seen is that so far through this pandemic, our kids have been able to be safe with the masks that they have been wearing, which are a variety of them. And certainly parents can explore whether that type of mask is something their children would wear. I think what is really important is that children wear some type of mask that we we can get into the nuance of all the different types of masks and we, we have plenty of people who have concerns about their children wearing masks period. so I think what we need to remember is wearing a mask is what is going to be most protective and actually wearing it, not having it be on the chin or somewhere else. and so to your point about classrooms, you know I think, If people are eating in the classroom, they spread out as much as they can. And when they're done putting something in their mouth, they cover themselves back up with a mask. Kids are good at that, actually. They kind of know how to do that. These are simple things that children can do to help maintain safety even in the classroom.
1: Thanks everybody. Uh, We have time for about one or two more. We'll start with Adria Watson from the Connecticut Mirror.
9: Thanks, Max. Um, I have a couple of questions for Commissioner Russell Tucker. Um, Does the department
4: collect and have the number for how many um, districts closed schools or delayed start days yesterday um, or this week heading back from the holiday break? Hi, Adria. We have some information from yesterday and today so far. And I know Eric Izzani can share that with you. Thanks.
8: Oh,
9: I thought that was going to get shared now, sorry. Um,
4: and I know the question um, was asked earlier about staff um, absentee rates. Uh, do you also have this, any student um, absentee numbers from yesterday or today? Uh, not, not, no, we don't have that information here. We, that lags for us here at the department uh, in terms of having the attendance information. OK, thank you.
8: Julia Wirth, CT examiner. Sorry, it said I was muted. So I have a question about the change in policy
9: for vaccinated versus unvaccinated students when they're exposed outside of school.
4: Um, You said that if a vaccinated student's exposed outside, they don't have to change anything, but the vaccinated or reverse, but the unvaccinated do not um with vaccinated people spreading it and getting it as well why is there a difference there
5: what we know so far is that although it is true that vaccinated people have been able to get infected when you weigh all the different risks and the mitigation strategies that we do have in classrooms which primarily is masks, the fact that everybody in schools Mm -hmm. are masking, we made the decision that for a child to lose five days of school, which would be moving backwards from where we were in terms of where children were coming to school, if vaccinated despite exposure, we overall weighed the risk benefit to say that the risk of developing COVID was small enough in a vaccinated person and the benefits of being in school were important enough that unless somebody was to develop symptoms, they should be able to continue coming to school, of course, while still wearing a mask though.
9: Okay, and then just to follow up, you've said a few times that,
4: you know, any mask is better than no mask for the students. Do you have like data specifically on that in the schools in Connecticut or is that from other studies from the CDC?
5: Well, we have our information that we've seen in these last 18 months that students have been coming to school and looking at the information that schools have shared with us in terms of rates of COVID transmission within schools. It's not zero, but it is low overall, given children wearing masks throughout this pandemic while people have been in schools. So using that, we've been able to extrapolate and sort of continue with our guidance the way we've outlined it. But no specific like masks, masks are doing this versus not wearing masks are doing something else. Well, we have published data from many school districts throughout the uh, country that the CDC has published. Regional school districts have published, for example, in North Carolina, there was a publication in pediatrics from earlier this summer that showed that with masks, there was very low transmission between people. So I think that it is that type of data that we have used along with what we've seen from our school districts here in Connecticut. Okay, thank you.
8: John Craven, News 12. Hi,
0: everybody. So uh, these kids who have to test either because, you know, uh, after five days, either because uh, they tested positive or or they had an exposure, uh, are they going to have to submit those test results to the school district to to come back? Uh, Otherwise, how do you enforce that?
5: So, John, there were, I think, two things put together there. Um, The first was if you are symptomatic and you test positive, you would just report that to your school nurse the way you normally would. For those kids who have been identified as a contact, an out of school contact, and they do a test at day five, we're using an honor system for that. So they will notify their school, but having said that, they will not be submitting those specific results unless the school chooses to. So we have not mandated that as part of our guidance. But if a school chooses to do that, they certainly are entitled to do that.
0: Okay. Um, you, you know given um, given what we've seen with the effectiveness of boosters versus just you know one or two shots, are are you guys reconsidering it all redefining fully vaccinated to mean with a booster?
5: So I think the CDC has not specifically made that distinction. I think where we see them moving is sort of the definition of up-to-date with your vaccination series. We wait to see what they say. I think it is explicitly clear though for everybody to know three shots is what you need to be protected from COVID-19. So regardless of what definitions are out there, get your booster. You need three shots.
0: All right. And just one last question. This could be for any of you, Um, you know, given all the staff shortages, I mean, school districts closing delaying because they don't have enough bus drivers because they don't have enough teachers. uh, Is there anything else the state can do to try to get more staff in even on a temporary basis? I mean, I know you talked about the National Guard isn't really an option, but are, are there any other things we can do on a short term basis?
4: So, John I can share with you that uh, you know I had staff even checking with the organization that placed substitutes uh, in classrooms uh, working continuing to work on that uh, they right now seem to be doing okay with being able to provide uh, you know substitutes for the schools that you know are in contact contract with them and so we're continuing continuing to work to see how we can make sure there really is a robust pool uh, of substitutes that can be called upon so we continue to look at uh, what it is that we can do to help support uh, around the staff and challenges.
8: Catherine Shen. Everyone, Um, just a quick follow
9: up on um, everyone else's remote learning questions. Um, I know you mentioned, uh, Commissioner Russell Tucker, that there are specific um, elements that you have to meet in order to have that as an option. But what about school districts who cannot provide the remote learning option for families who need them? Are there options for them to be able to continue their education today, if that's the case? And on a related question, that's probably for a Governor Lamont, um, there are a lot of educators and staff who are testing positive and families are concerned of them returning in person. So will you consider a
8: more robust vaccine mandate in the future?
4: So uh, just to clarify, you know, we, I would say school districts are working really hard uh, to make sure that families, I don't know if you're talking about families or are immunocompromised. Uh, to make sure that they can provide uh, learning uh, for those students, uh, while at the same time trying to make sure that families understand what strategies they have in place. They are, one district I know, you know, had the the, the family people come in to see exactly where the student would be seated in the classroom to try to you know develop confidence in that front. So uh, I know it's a challenge, but our districts are really continuing to work hard uh, to address those needs.
6: And Catherine, do your rest of the question as regards uh, vaccine, look, clearly uh, the third shot in the booster is uh, necessary to keep you the safest possible. Uh, we've been trying to do that as much as we can through encouragement. We have uh, uh, one of the highest percentages of folks who have gotten a booster, but it's not universal. And uh, so we are taking a look in in some situations where we can work together um, to make sure we get 100% participation when it comes to the boosters. But let me uh, give us a little time as we work through on that.
8: Thank you so much.
6: Final question, Kayla
3: Bamberger.
9: Hi, thanks all for convening today. I'm looking for some more clarity about how symptom monitoring as opposed to contact tracing will work in practice. Um, For for example, one of the protocols the union coalition raised yesterday was outdoor temperature checks, basically screening students for a fever um, for those symptoms. Is that something the state would consider requiring or
8: recommending?
5: Maybe I'll start with that question. Uh, You know, we did a lot of temperature checks in the early wave of this pandemic. And I think overall, we know that although fever is certainly one indicator, these outdoor screening checks where these thermometers may not function optimally and also create a lot of backlog in terms of students being able to get into the school is certainly problematic. Having said that, if a school were to choose to tell parents that they want to have them screen their children every day, that would be up to them. I think that there are a bunch of symptoms that really can go with COVID-19, and we are asking people to be very vigilant about any symptoms at this point because, quite frankly, when you have this amount of prevalence of disease in a community, although there are other viruses circulating right now as well, we know that if something walks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So, you know, if you have cold symptoms, stay home. That's really the safest thing and get tested.
4: And I'll also add that working directly with our school health staff, uh, we have access and meet with our school nurses and our school medical advisors. And this issue of infection control and and the change is something that's a priority for us. So, in the maybe in the next couple of days, you'll we'll be meeting with our school nurses to really talk about what implementation looks like uh, at the district level and how we can support. Some districts have hired additional health staff using some of their ARPA dollars. Uh, district that have hired more LPNs to support the RNs, and so we're going to be meeting with them to see what additional supports they need. It is a critical part of what we need now to make sure. Our schools can stay open. Our our families can feel comfortable having the kids back in. Our staff can feel comfortable teaching in a safe environment. And so that truly is a priority uh, as we go forward uh, in the very near term. Thank you.
6: Max, it looks like um, we may be wrapping up. I just wanted to say a couple of things. you know, Matt, Karen's question had me, you know, thinking about the fact that our schools are open. I think we're uh, got our schools open safely, but there's are still uh, some kids now who are not coming into the classroom and how that uh, makes teaching complicated, especially new material. You know, a year and a half ago, we opened our schools. They were open. They're open safely, but we didn't have, uh, you know a third to half of our kids coming in and you have to build confidence every day to give teachers, give parents uh, the confidence that we're doing everything we can to make sure um, your school can open safely and uh, you can see I think by this group today that uh, we're making that our number one priority and uh, I think we can succeed. Um, I I say that more broadly about our economy. You know, if you're a store owner, you're a restaurant, um, it's not simply a matter of opening up. It's a matter of giving your customers, your employees the confidence that you're doing everything you can to keep them safe. And that um, many times means wearing the mask indoors. Really good idea. That many times means uh, showing um, that you've been vaccinated before you go into that restaurant. Give people that confidence they can uh, keep going about their daily lives. And I know 24% infection, oh my gosh. Um, but I think we have the tools now to continue living our life despite COVID. And I think we can continue living our life safely. And that's what we tried to uh, demonstrate today um, when it comes to our schools. And I, I know the anxiety, somebody mentioned one of the questions, um, long wait line to get the PCR test in New Britain. I was I was talking to folks along the way there and, um, uh, And I I saw the anguish in some people, the resignation in some people, the anger in some people. How, But mainly a sense that we were the most vaccinated state in the country. How can this um, happen uh, here in Connecticut? And I just want you to know that... um, the vaccinations and the boosters are making an enormous difference. We have a high um, infection rate. We're c- holding the line on our hospitalizations, in particular the ICUs where we need capacity there. What a difference uh, that makes. It's still 10% of the people, those unvaccinated, to create 70% of the load in our, um, in our hospitals. And uh, if I could get that 10% vaccinated, we wouldn't have that as an issue. Uh, I've got to say, you know, finally, um, I used to be a little dismissive of um, infection rates as not a leading indicator. And I was more concerned about hospitalization since that was um, that was a DMARC for us. Um, I, I pay a lot more attention to it now because of workforce. And uh, I see the stress we're going through. We obviously know about bus drivers and teachers, but in restaurants, manufacturing, doing what we can to get people uh, back, uh, back to work. And uh, that's why I, I think, the testing is important, making that more widely available, making sure at the end of that five days, you know, you can get back to work and get back to work safely. But if I have a message for you, it's 24 um, percent infection rate is lousy and uh, it's, it may get worse before it gets better. But we have the tools in place, provided you take advantage of the tools, the masks, the um, vaccinations, Uh, and then the testing. We have the tools to keep you safe and keep going about our lives. And I hope that was part of the message you got today. Thanks so much, everybody. Appreciate your time.